Chapter Twenty One of Meteorology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in February two thousand and twelve. Meteorology by J. G. Macpherson. Chapter Twenty One: The Aurora Borealis. He must be a very careless observer who has not been struck with the appearance of the streamers which occasionally light up the northern heavens and which farmers consider to be indicators of strong wind or broken weather. The time was when the phenomenon was considered to be supernatural and portentous as the chroniclers of spectral battles, when fierce, fiery warriors fought upon the clouds in ranks and squadrons and right form of war and even in the rural districts of Britain the blood-coloured aurora of October 24, 1870, was considered to be the reflection of an enormous Prussian bonfire, fed by the beleaguered French capital. In joyful spirit the Shetlanders call the beautiful natural phenomenon merry dancers. Burns associated their evanescence with the transitoriness of sensuous gratification, they flit ere you can point their place. And Tennyson spoke of his cousin's face lit up with the colour and light of love, as I have seen the rosy red flushing in the northern light. Yet this phenomenon is to a great extent under the control of cosmical laws. One of the most difficult problems of our day has been to disentangle the irregular webwork of aurorae and bring them under a law of periodicity, which depends upon the fluctuations of the sun's photosphere and the variations on the earth's magnetism, and which have such an important influence upon the fluctuations of the weather. The name Aurora Borealis was given to it by Gassendi in 1621. Afterwards, the old almanacs described it as the great amazing light in the north. In the lowlands of Scotland, the name it long went by of Lord Derwentwater's Lights was given because it suddenly appeared on the night before the execution of the rebel lord. In Ceylon, aurorae were called Buddha Lights. The first symptom of an aurora borealis is commonly a low arch of pale greenish-yellow light, placed at right angles to the magnetic meridian. Sometimes rays cover the whole sky, frequently showing tremulous motion from end to end, and sometimes they appear to hang from the sky like the fringes of a mantle. They are among the most capricious of natural phenomena, so full of individualities and vagaries. To the glitter of rapid movement they add the charm of vivid colouring. It is strongly asserted that aurorae are preceded by the same general phenomena as thunderstorms. This was borne out by Piazzi Smith, late Astronomer Royal for Scotland, who observed that their monthly frequency varies inversely with that of thunderstorms, both being safety valves for the discharge of surplus electricity. Careful observers have, moreover, noticed a remarkable coincidence between the display of aurorae and the maxima of the sun's spots and of the earth's magnetic disturbances. Some have supposed that the light of the aurora is caused by clouds of meteoric dust, composed of iron, which is ignited by friction with the atmosphere. 
but there is this difficulty in the way shooting stars are more frequent in the morning while the reverse is the case with the aurora the highest authorities have concluded pretty uniformly that aurorae are electric discharges through highly rarefied air taking place in a magnetic field and under the sway of the earth's magnetic induction they are not inappropriately called polar lightnings for when electricity misses the one channel it must traverse the other the natives of the arctic regions of north america pretend to foretell wind by the rapidity of the motions of the streamers when they spread over the whole sky in a uniform sheet of light fine weather ensures fitzroy believed that aurorae in northern latitudes indicated and accompanied stormy weather at a distance the same idea is still current among many farmers and fishermen in scotland is there any audible accompaniment to the brilliant spectacle the natives of some parts with subtle hearing power speak of the whizzing sound which is often heard during auroral displays burns tells of their hissing eerie din as echoes of the far-off songs of the valkyries perhaps the most striking incident which corroborates this opinion occurred during the franco-prussian war rollier a practice aeronaut left paris in a balloon on his mission of city defence and fourteen hours afterward landed in norway he had reached a height of two and a half miles when descending he passed through a peculiar cloud of sulphurous odour which emitted flashed light and a slight scratching or rustling noise on landing he witnessed a splendid aurora borealis he must therefore have passed through a cloud in which an electrical discharge of an auroral nature was proceeding accompanied with an audible sound there is moreover no improbability of such sounds being occasionally heard since a somewhat similar phenomenon accompanies the brush discharge of the electric machinery to which the aurora bears considerable resemblance though no fixed conclusions are yet established about the causes of the brilliant auroral display yet as the results of laborious observations we are assured that the stabler centre of our solar system holds in its powerful sway the several planets at their respective distances supplying them all with their reasonable light and heat vibrating sympathetic chords in all and even controlling under certain though to us still unknown laws the electric streamers that flit apparently lawlessly in the distant earth's atmosphere end of chapter twenty one